It's 4 o'clock and time for the Calvary Live Show, taking your calls and questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady. I am with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. I want to say welcome to those of you listening in Colorado here on Grace FM. Also, welcome to everyone listening on the East Coast on Hope FM. Those of you in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, welcome to the program. I also want to say a big hello to everyone who listens online. We know it's so many of you who listen on the Grace FM app and so many of you who listen on your uh, mobile devices and all these things all around the world. So welcome to the program. We're so glad that you tuned in today. Uh, this is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible. You can call in to talk about things going on in your life. Or if you have a prayer request, please uh, call us or text us and you can talk live on the air or we can read your text on the on the air and answer it. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Here at the beginning of the show, it's always a good chance to call in because because um, we wait for those lines to fill up for a few minutes before they do. So now's a great time. We've got three open lines. So as I said earlier, um, this is usually Pastor Ed's day on Wednesdays uh, to host the show, but I am not Pastor Ed. I'm Again, my name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And I'm filling in for Pastor Ed today because he is in California. There's a pastor's conference that he and many other pastors are attending in Los Angeles this week. So uh, I encourage you to pray for them as they're being encouraged and as they're uh, studying the word together. Just that God would speak to them. They'd return to their churches with uh, refreshed vision and uh, having heard from the Lord and all those good things. So... I'll be with you today. I also host the show every Monday. Um, every Monday, I just started hosting about three weeks ago. I took over for Pastor Nate Morris uh, from Calvary Chapel Vale Valley, and um, Nate's a good friend of mine, and I'm excited to be able to take over for him. And uh, he's a great, great guy, and he did a great job on this show for about a year or so, but I got to take over his slot a few weeks ago. So now every Monday, I'm on the air taking your calls and texts on Calvary Live. So I'm excited to get to do that. Uh, just a little bit more about myself. I'm the pastor of, uh, as I said, Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Whitefields meets in downtown Longmont. So for those of you who are familiar with Longmont or maybe you live in the area, we meet at 700 Longs Peak Avenue. That's the St. Vrain Memorial Building right on the corner of Roosevelt Park. So right on the corner of Kaufman and Longs Peak Avenue in downtown Longmont. You can check us out online if you're interested at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And you can hear me every weekday here on Grace FM. We have a show that airs uh, 2.30 to 3 o'clock. So that's uh, prime time for those of you who pick up your kids from school at that time. So the show is called Life in the Field. It's a half-hour program with our sermons from our Sunday morning services. And then on Sunday mornings, we're also on at 10 a.m. So you can tune in at those times. Uh, I was on on Monday, and we had a lot of people calling in to talk about the shooting that happened in Texas. So maybe there are some of you listening today and you'd still want to talk about that. Maybe it's something that's been on your mind and you've been you've been praying about it, you've been thinking about it. Um, the questions, stuff like, where is God when stuff happens like this? How should we respond as Christians to these kind of tragedies, especially this one that happened in a church? Um, some other things that are going on this uh, Sunday... At Whitefields, we are do we are continuing a series that we've been doing. I've been really enjoying it. So starting the last Sunday in October, 
and going through the month of November, we were doing a series where we're studying the five solas of the Reformation. So the five solas, the word sola in Latin means only or alone. The five solas um, are the the statements that the Reformers kind of came up with to summarize the key biblical doctrines that they championed. And so they were uh, sola scriptura, the scriptures alone, sola fide, uh, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, and uh, solus Christus, Christ alone, and then soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. And so each Sunday we're going through this series and we're looking at each of these and studying what the Bible has to say about them. This past Sunday we studied about sola fide, and that what that means is that we are the way that we receive salvation that has been given to us in Christ is by faith alone. Not faith plus works, not faith plus ceremonies, but faith alone. Uh, I heard a great example about uh, how we're not saved by our faith. So I think that's another thing that other people can get into. They can start to think in terms of, well, do I have enough faith to be saved? You know, And then the problem that they fall into when you fall into that kind of thinking is that you start to think, Oh, well, I, I have faith in the amount of faith that I have. But I heard this great example. I didn't share it on Sunday, but I heard it. I thought it was a really good one. It said, having faith in Christ is kind of like this. It's kind of like two people get on an airplane to travel from you know, Los Angeles to New York. Well, they both get on the airplane. Now, let's say that one of them has, um, has a lot of faith in airplanes, and the other one gets on, and they don't have very much faith in airplanes at all. Well, the end result is going to be the same either way whether they had a lot of faith or a little faith, because it's not the amount of faith that you have that matters. It's the object of your faith that matters. And the object of our faith is Jesus. And we know that he's absolutely faithful. So anyway, it was a great time studying that, uh, that doctrine of uh, justification by faith alone. And this Sunday, we're going to be looking at how we are saved by grace alone. So I'm looking forward to that. It'd be a great Sunday to check us out for those of you who are in the area. We're also doing a meet and greet event where... Um, we're having an opportunity for people to meet our pastors and leaders at Whitefield. So it's a, it's a great Sunday to check us out um, if you're in the Longmont area. Let's go ahead and go to our lines now. We've got Christopher on line one in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Christopher. Welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Doing great. Um, so <clears throat> I've been listening, and uh, I, I, I've kind of, you know, I've been brought up to believe that uh, once you're saved, you're always saved. But then I've had some pastors tell me they don't quite buy into the whole once saved, always saved. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I actually spoke about this uh, the last couple of shows I've been doing. It seems to be quite the mm-hmm. recurring theme. Um, so here's what I would say on that, is that I do not believe that uh, you can lose your salvation. This is what we were talking about uh, the other day when we brought this topic up. I believe that if you are in his grip, he is not going to let go of you. I think that sometimes mm-hmm. people, people's, I think we're in agreement on this one. But, uh, I, you know, I think the point is that some people get so worried about whether, how strong their grip is, and they feel like maybe, you know, they're getting weak or they're not strong enough. It's kind of like what I was just saying about faith. You know, sometimes uh, people put faith or they try to put their faith in their faith. My point is that it's not our faith that saves us. It's uh, the object of our faith who saves us. And I think the same thing is true when it comes to him holding on to us and us losing our salvation, so to say. I really don't like that phrase. I don't think it's helpful because I think that it uh, kind of trivializes the whole idea. It makes it, you know, also losing something is a very passive thing, right? Like I forgot where I put my keys. I lost my keys or I lost this or lost that. It's a passive thing that you don't intend to do. It's something that you do on accident. 
And I don't think mm -hmm. that you can lose your salvation in that way. But I, the other thing that I said the other day when I was on the air, and I'll say it again now, is that I also kind of don't like the phrase, once saved, always saved. And it's not that I disagree with it. It's that I don't like what it implies. And let's, um, so let me just elaborate on that. So when you say once saved, always saved, I, I think what it implies, and maybe this is just how I hear those words um, or how I've heard them used, but I think it kind of implies this, the sense that, you know, it's kind of like getting your ticket to the, you know, event, like whether, whatever that event is, you know. It's like I've got my ticket, and now I don't have to do anything else. Like the, and, and on the one hand, I would say our salvation in no way depends on us having to do anything. I just want to make that clear. But I just want to say that I don't think it's just like uh, ticking the box and then, you know, you're, you just basically hold your breath and wait to die because uh, mm -hmm. I'm saved. And and that's the end of it is just I said a prayer at junior high camp or, um, you know, I got baptized when I was eight years old and said that I I believed in Jesus and now I'm saved. And and, you know, that's the end of the story. I think that it's very clear from the Bible that salvation, it will be true salvation will be worked out in our lives and will be evidenced in our lives for the entirety of our lives. It will bear much fruit in our lives. So I guess the way I would like to rephrase that is to say, um, really saved, always saved. I guess I put it that way. If you are, if you are truly born again, then I, I believe that you, um, you will, you will um, persevere, you know, to use the the reform uh, phraseology. You will persevere as, as a believer in your faith. So I guess my point is this. That salvation has, uh, you know, salvation is talked about in three ways in the Bible. So it's talked about in the past tense, and that's the way that you're using it, and I'm using it in this phrase. You know, Paul the Apostle talks about our salvation as an event which has taken place. We have been declared righteous in Christ in the past tense, but also talks about it as an ongoing thing. We are being set free. We are being saved. And it also talks about it in a future sense. So we will be saved um, in the sense that our salvation will reach its full completion at some point in the future. So I think it's, I, I think it's helpful to talk about it in those ways because, like I said, I think it's not that I disagree with the statement. It's that I disagree with the implications of what some people could read into that statement. Does that so make you're sense? talking about more, more on the definition part of the whole thing? No, I'm talking about uh, not the definition. I'm saying that I probably technically agree with the definition. I guess I'm saying um, I don't really think that it's a helpful phrase because of what it can be taken to mean. Mm -hmm. well, Meaning that somebody I, could yeah, say, I mean, hey, you know, I was I saved, I was baptized, and uh, mm -hmm. there you go. Now I can, you know, live like a hog and die like a dog, but it's okay because I punched my get-out-of-hell-free ticket, you know, when I was eight years old, so I'm good. Yeah, but wouldn't that all boil down to the condition of the heart? What, what, what? Whether you truly believe that you were saved, is that what you're trying to say? Well, I think whether or not I truly believe that I'm saved uh, is almost, I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but it's not going to save me. You see what I'm saying? Either I have been saved by Jesus, and I am being saved by Jesus, and I will be saved by Jesus, or not, right? So whether or not I trust in it, is that gets down to the matter of faith, which is what I was talking about with that whole airplane example right before I took you mm -hmm. But uh, So what, I'm try well, what I guess what I'm driving at is that, um, from what I understand, is that you're saved. You're always, you know, once you're saved, and you've, you've, you truly believe that you were, you know, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, then, then you're truly saved. 
And then everything after that, whether we backslide or whatever the condition of our heart is at that point, um, as, as we move through life, I mean, God's going to try to, uh, God's going to sanctify us, sanctify us every single step of the way. I mean, it might take a little bit longer for somebody to get, you know, to start in that sanctification process, but I mean, God would want to sanctify us no matter what. I don't, I, I just don't understand how somebody can even think that they can even lose their salvation. Yeah, so there's two things that I'll tell you in this. Um, first of all, I'll read you a text, okay, and then I'll, then we'll talk about it. But but I think okay. there's there's two things that um, that are important in this. But let me begin by reading you the text. So this is Hebrews chapter six, starting in verse four. It says it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up, in, uh, up to contempt. And he says, For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Okay, so clearly, here's what he's talking about. He's saying that there are people who by all appearances seem to be Christians. Mm -hmm. he, he describes five things there. Right. Well, no, he doesn't say that they're carnal at all. Carnal at all. He says that these mm -hmm. people have fallen away. So first of all, he says a lot of really nice things about them, right? They've been enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. You know, if somebody has those qualifications, would you say that they're a Christian? I, I wouldn't only say that they're a Christian. I'd say that maybe they should be in leadership in my church. Man, those are some great qualifications, right? Like, that's quite mm -hmm. the resume. So let's say that, but then he says this, and then they have fallen away. And so, so there's two issues here. There's obviously, he's saying that there are people who by all appearances uh, appear to be Christians. And not only do they appear to be Christians, but they have had significant spiritual experiences. Mm -hmm. And then they fall away. So the question is this, were those people Christians and then they fell away and lost their salvation, so to say, or were they n never really Christians? They only appeared to be Christians and they fell away. And so the problem is, and so I, I, I'll tell you, I'll just show you my cards right now. I tend towards the latter. I tend to say, I don't think that they were really Christians. I think that they, um, they just appeared to be Christians. But the point is this, that there are a lot of people who look like Christians, and, and mm -hmm. I'll even go one further, and this is totally biblical, this is what Jesus said. There are also a ton of people who uh, don't just uh, look like Christians, they believe that they are Christians, and so that gets to your point about saying, hey, I believe, I, you know, I said all this stuff, I did all the, you know, I believed in my heart and did all this stuff, and he's saying there are people who believe that they are Christians, and they're not. Um, and so let me take you over Matthew chapter 7. This is actually the verse that God used in my life uh, to bring me to repentance and faith in him because I grew up um, grew up going to a Lutheran school, really good school, and, uh, you know, they taught me the Bible, and I learned a lot of really good stuff. But then well, when I was a little bit older, when I was in my late teens, somebody directed me to this verse and read it to me, and it uh, rocked my world and really brought me to my knees and brought me to repentance and to return to the Lord. Here's what it is. It's at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. 
So Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Okay, so, so let me explain this real quick to you. Lord, Lord. So anytime you see repetition like that in the ancient uh, cultures in which this was done, especially Hebrew culture, to repeat someone's name twice was a major emphasis. You know, it's kind of like all caps when we write in all caps, right? And so mm -hmm. someone who says, Lord, Lord, that indicates passion. So this is saying not everyone who is passionate, you know, some, some people are look like they're passionate about me, right? They're the ones raising their hands in the worship service, you know, being passionate in other ways. Okay, and then he says, uh, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says, you know, only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And then he goes on to say, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons? So these people did, had spiritual experiences. And not only that, I mean, what we're talking about here is spiritual service, right? So they prophesied, they cast out demons. So I'm just trying to paint the picture for you here. This is a person who, by all outer appearances, is passionate about God. They appear to be uh, in service to God and having spiritual experiences. And yet Jesus says at the end of the day, oh, and they, they fully believe that they will be saved, right? And Jesus says to them at the end of the day, we never had a personal relationship. Like, I never knew you. You, you never knew me. We didn't know each other. We didn't have a relationship. And therefore he says, uh, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And that, that, is, that should be something that... Um, is very sobering for us to read. I, it's absolutely meant to be sobering because what it's basically saying is this, that there are a lot of people who are going to be very surprised and not in a good way on, uh, on the last day. They uh, believe that they are saved, but the reality is that they are not. So back to your earlier point. Do I think that people can lose their salvation? No, I don't think that you can lose your salvation. And, and let me reiterate why. One reason is because the Bible says that when you come to the Lord, you put your faith in him that you are born again to new life. I don't know how you could possibly be unborn again. Like, how can you be born and then be unborn again? Okay, here's another one. It says that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit when, uh, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Um, I don't know how you get unsealed because the, even that word seal can also be translated guarantee. So how do you get a guarantee and then get unguaranteed? Uh, against your will, so to say. So in that sense, I don't think that you can go and lose your salvation. Uh, on the other hand, I do think that there are many people, and this is the point of these two verses, there are many people who are very confident in the fact that they will be saved, but the the very sad and sobering and, and uh, you know, it should be alarming reality is that there are many people who believe that they are saved, but the truth is that they are not. Can, can you give me an example of something like that? I just gave you two. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean. Um, okay, no, I okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and but, so you I know mean, that, that but doesn't it like, also boil down to the condition of the heart, though? Of I mean, course, if, but you if know, I here's have the, the faith, the and, and and but because okay, like in my past, I I I, I thought I was, big, but then yet I did go out and I did bad things, you know, but yeah. I thought I was safe at that point, but I, I, I thought as, as Jesus, I mean, as, as I was convicted, 
And as I changed my ways, I, uh, and as I was being sanctified, I became more secure in my salvation. Yeah, great. L- let me uh, let me speak to that then, because I actually do have something which I think um, is is a great biblical explanation for that. So um, we have an example of two people who committed the same sin against Jesus. Their sin was that they they uh, betrayed Jesus, and they did it on the mm-hmm. same night. These two people are Peter and Judas. Okay, Peter and Judas, when you boil it right down to it, they really committed the same sin, didn't they? The same. The sin was that they betrayed Jesus. In spite of the fact that mm-hmm. Jesus had loved them and, uh, and called them and welcomed them, they both betrayed him. And so uh, Judas goes out, and he shows a form of repentance. He actually does. I think this is the thing that Judas, uh, a lot of people forget about Judas sometimes. He showed what we could say is a form of repentance. And what he did is that he was so sorrowful over what he did that he took that money that he had been given in exchange for betraying Jesus. He took it into the temple. He cast it on the temple floor and basically said, you know, I don't want your blood money. And he, he not only felt bad, but he you could say he turned away from what he had done. The problem with that is, though, that he did not turn to Jesus in his repentance. He just felt really bad about it, and he you know, had a form of repentance, but it wasn't turning to Jesus. Okay, then on the other hand, you've got Peter. Peter also betrays Jesus on the night before Jesus is crucified. And then, uh, what does Peter do? Well, you know, at fr- he doesn't do it right away, but eventually, Peter goes and he re- repents of it but he repents and he returns to jesus and as a result he's restored not only is he restored to fellowship with jesus he's even restored into ministry and so i think this is really the key it and this is something that the proverbs say too that the righteous man falls seven times and then gets up again but the wicked fall into calamity and so that's just a a really big difference so what I'm, i'm saying is this that just because you um sin so christians if you are born again that doesn't mean that you will never sin again but it does mean that you're a new creation i like to put it this way i i like the way that uh, first john puts it uh first john you know he says those who practice sin do not know the lord and i think of that in terms of like practicing something in terms of like you practice things that you want to get good at, right? So like mm-hmm. you you go and you practice your golf swing because you want to improve your golf swing. And in the same way, there are some people who have that attitude towards sin, right? They wake up in the morning thinking, okay, how can I do that better? Like how can I be a better sinner, right? And then you have other people who, um, let's put it this way, a sheep and a pig both fall in the mud sometimes. But the sheep's goal is not to fall in the mud. Sheep don't like to wallow in the mud, but the pig does. And so being a new creation is being turned, I guess you could say, and I don't mean this rudely towards anyone, but it's being turned from a, a pig into a sheep, you know, in the sense of liking the mud, if in no other sense. So um, I hope that answers your question. So, and I agree with you. I think the more you gravitate towards the Spirit, you're going to be you're going to be more inclined to do godless things. And as you lean towards the world, you're going to be more gravitated to do godly, or godless things. And uh, so I, I understand that. But I just, you know, and I think you probably already covered this once, which was, um, which was John, what, what is it, John, John 10, 10 he says that he will not let 25 his, or whatever it is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, 10, 25, where he says, he says, where I've known you, 
uh, let's hear, I can't remember the exactly, let me paraphrase here, but he says, he says, um, I wish I could remember, maybe you can find it real quick. Well, I'll just tell you what you're thinking of, because I know the verse, yeah. and I know the argument, and the verse is in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and he said, I know my sheep, and then he says, I will not let my and, sheep be taken out of my hand by the right. enemy. Right, and, and, and that's and, my and, whole point, yeah. is that you're not going to lose but, your but, salvation passively. But I, here, I'll just yeah. end with because he's going to he's going to try to hold on tight, right? He's going to he's not going to let you go easily. Of course, of right? course, of course. That's the whole point. And that, and I'm just going to let you go after I uh, I finish here and just say this concluding thing, which I think really gets to the heart of what you've been asking, and that is this: we are not saved. Our salvation isn't saved, nor is it secured by what we do, but it's by what He has done for us. And um, I think that really is all that it comes down to. If It's about confidence in what Jesus has done for us. So if, um, you know, I as a sheep fall in the mud, I don't automatically just lose my salvation, but there's part of the process of, uh, of God doing his work in my life and cleansing me of sin ongoingly. So thank you for calling in. We're going to go ahead and go to some other calls and texts that have come in in the meantime. You are listening to Calvary Live. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And uh, we have three open lines right now. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question or you have a prayer request, you'd like to call in. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. We're coming up on the break in about three minutes from now. But before we get to the break, let's go ahead and look at our text line real quick. Uh, We had a question come in uh, that said this. I am a new believer, and at what point should a new believer begin sharing their faith? Or should you wait until you get stronger and learn more? So first of all, awesome. I'm so glad to hear that you have become a believer in Jesus. Welcome to the family. I think that is great. And I pray that God strengthens you and that God builds you up in that most holy faith and that uh, that he empowers you and uses you in the world. And I think it's great that you're already asking this question, you know, at what point can I begin talking to others about what God has done in my life? I think the answer to that is right away. I do not, I do not think that you need to wait. Uh, I do not think that you need to wait until you reach a certain point of maturity. I think that as a disciple, we are called to be his witnesses. And being a disciple in Jesus is all about moving constantly towards him. And that is something that you, you never reach the end of. You never get to the point where you can say, okay, I'm done now. I'm done becoming a disciple. It's an ongoing thing where we're constantly moving towards Jesus. And here's what I would tell you. Um, I think that there is a ton of biblical precedent to tell you to say, hey, you should begin sharing your faith right away when you're a believer. And you might say, well, what if I don't know the answers to the questions that people ask? That's something that people often say is, I'm so worried about sharing my faith because I'm not sure that I will know the answers uh, to the questions that people ask. And I was just thinking there are two instances. They're both in the Gospel of John where that's exactly what happened. A, a new believer went out and shared about Jesus and then some people asked him some questions and they didn't know the answers to the questions. And so uh, I'll tell you what those instances were. In John chapter 9, there's an instance where Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And then he goes out and uh, people start giving him a hard time. And they say, oh, who is this person who healed you? Because he healed him on a Sabbath, which, you know, in the Jewish mindset, you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. And the question was, well, is healing somebody, does that count as work? And so um, 
yeah, in John chapter 9, this blind man, they say, well, you know, tell us about this man, Jesus, who healed you. And uh, the guy, you know, answers kind of funny at first and totally like innocent. You can see just this guy's purity of his heart. He says, well, why do you, why do you want to know about him? Do you want to be his disciples too? You know, you just see this honest, pure heart in this man. And then he, he says, hey, look, I don't know the answers to your questions, but I know this one thing. I was blind and now I see. And I think that's that's a great way to put it. Hey, you may not know the answer to all the questions yet. That's okay. You know this. You were blind and now you see. And you can share that story uh, with everybody. And I would encourage you to do so. That's what being a witness is about. It's about talking about what you have seen and experienced in Jesus. You're listening to Calvary Live. We're going to be back in just a few minutes right after the break. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Call us with your questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus right now at 303-690-3000. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady taking your calls and texts on the air today. Uh, I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church up in Longmont, Colorado. And so for any of you who are up in this area, we'd like to invite you to come and check out our church this coming Sunday. Our church meets at 700 Longs Peak Avenue in downtown Longmont. That's right on the corner of Kaufman and Longs Peak Avenue, uh, downtown Longmont. We meet in the St. Vrain Memorial Building at 10 a.m. every Sunday. Check us out online. Our website is whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. You can also hear me uh, here on Grace FM every weekday at 2.30 p.m. We have a show that airs here, um, 2.30 to 3 every weekday and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. And also I host Calvary Live every Monday from 4 to 5 p.m. on Grace FM and, and it's broadcast on the East Coast as well on Hope FM and, uh, and online, of course, as well. I just started doing that a few weeks ago. I'm very excited to be part of this uh, group of pastors that gets to take your calls and texts on the air. I'm filling in for Ed Taylor today. Pastor Ed is in California at a pastor's conference uh, with a lot of other pastors, so I'd encourage you to you know, keep them in prayer and keep them in mind as they're uh, seeking the Lord and studying the Word together and just pray that they would come back to their congregations refreshed and having uh, a new and fresh vision and a message from the Lord. So we have all lines open right now. It's a good time if you've ever wanted to call in and you have something on your mind, something to talk about, or some question to ask from the Bible. Or if you have a prayer request, we'd love to pray for you on the air as well. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go ahead and go back over to the text line and look at some of the texts that have come in. We have a text that says, Hi, my name is Haley. My fiancé and I need prayer. We've been together for four years and recently got engaged to be married. Congratulations. We both love the Lord, and it seems like lately we have been under severe spiritual attack. I don't understand it. Since we have been pursuing the Lord, our relationship has started to face difficult trials suddenly. I sit here in tears of confusion and sadness, and I ask that you pray for us and offer any guidance as to why this may be happening and what I can do. Well, Haley, uh, first of all, congratulations on getting engaged to be married, and awesome that you guys are pursuing the Lord and and you're doing that together. That's a huge blessing. And so I pray that God would strengthen you in that 
here's the thing I would want you to know. God doesn't promise us a uh, problem-free life or even a, a temptation-free life or even a life free of spiritual attack. In fact, Jesus said just the opposite. He said, in this life you will have tribulations. But then he said this, but take heart, do not fear, take heart, because I have overcome the world. And what that means is that our faith and our hope ultimately rests in the fact that Jesus has conquered. He has conquered sin, death, and the devil. And because of that, we are going to have, or we do have eternal life in him forever. And so I want you to keep your eyes on the prize. Um, I say, I have several things to share with you. One of them is, you know, if you read about Jesus' life, what you'll find is kind of at the at the height of Jesus' um, obeying the father and submitting to the father and you see there's this instance where jesus submits even to baptism and so jesus submits to baptism he gets baptized and it says that on that day a, a dove descended on him and the father spoke in an audible voice from heaven and said this is my son in whom i'm well pe pleased you know i mean if god uh spoke out of heaven and said, I am well pleased with you. That would probably be kind of like a spiritual high point, probably for your life, I'm guessing. I, I'm guessing it would be for my, me, myself. And then what happens right after that, after Jesus hits that spiritual high point? The next thing we read is that Jesus uh, is led by the Spirit. And I think that's really important to remember. He's led by the Spirit. It wasn't that just he wandered out in the wilderness, but he's led by the Spirit into a time of testing and tribulation, uh, a time of testing of his faith, where for 40 days he's out in the desert fasting and seeking God. And as he's fasting and seeking God, what happens? He has all of this temptation. He has these spiritual battles where he has Satan coming and, and tempting him and trying to get him to disobey God and do things that are not pleasing to, the, to his father. And, uh, and Jesus resists, and the way that he resists is really important. He resists by responding to the temptation, by responding to the words of Satan to him with the word of God. So he responds, you know, Satan says, hey, why don't you, you know, you're hungry because you've been fasting. He says, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? You could do that. And Jesus says, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. That's a direct quotation from Deuteronomy. And the fact that Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy, I mean, on the one hand, knowing that Jesus is God, you know, he probably knew the words of Deuteronomy pretty well. But you also wonder how much of that was, you know, Jesus in his humanity being familiar with the word of God. And I, I think that that's a really important aspect of it. I believe that Jesus was uh, a person who studied the word of God, hid it in his heart, that he lived in that way to make an example for us. And so in that I see Jesus, you know, reiterating the words of God in the face of uh, temptation and and saying, no, I'm not going to submit to this temptation. I'm going to submit my life to God, and I'm going to use his word as the strength to remind my own soul uh, that I am going to belong to God, and I'm going to obey God, even in the midst of temptation. So I want to say two things to that. One is that the fact that you're facing these trials right now, um, I think you should count that not as a uh, anything to be surprised by. In fact, uh, that's what the Bible says. Do not be surprised when various temptations come your way. And um, the other thing I would tell you is, so it's totally normal that as a, as a Christian, as a person who's seeking the Lord, that you're going to receive attacks and pushback, spiritual attacks. I mean, in fact, 
I don't know how much this will comfort you, but try and take it as a compliment. I mean, the very fact that you um, that you are seeking the Lord and there's an enemy who doesn't want you to seek the Lord means that you're moving in the right direction. And so I would encourage you in that, to take heart in that and let that be a source of, of encouragement to you as much as it can be. Um, the other thing, again, like I said, I encourage you to do what Jesus did and respond to those temptations and those attacks with the word of God. And I would encourage you to look at Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, uh, he says this, I'll just read it to you. Paul the Apostle, writing to the Ephesian Christians, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Right, so he's talking about this spiritual warfare. He says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, and cosmic powers over this present darkness, over the present forces of evil in heavenly places. He's talking about spiritual warfare. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So here's what he says to do. Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So he kind of He's going to paint this picture of a warrior getting dressed, right? And so he says, you put on the belt of truth. So you take God's truth and you wrap it around you. The truth is the thing that holds, you, holds all this together, right? He says, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. So the fact that you know that you are righteous in Christ, not because of your own righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness imputed to you. You put that on as a breastplate. So, you know, you think about that protects what? That protects your heart. If in times like this. Also, it says you put on your shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. So you take up faith and knowing uh, who Jesus is, what he did for you, how God sees you, what God says about you if you are in Christ that you are forgiven, that you've been given a new identity, a new future. You take up these things and you hold that up when those fiery darts of the evil one are being shot at you. You put on the helmet of salvation. The knowledge that you are saved in Jesus is like a helmet that protects your head and the sword of the Spirit. And I think this is what's interesting. The sword of the Spirit. Now, this is the first one of those things that I mentioned so far. Everything I mentioned so far is um, protective, so, right, it's to protect you when you're being attacked. But the sword of the Spirit, now this is an offensive weapon. So the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So there, there you go right there. Um, that's getting back to that point with Jesus. When he was tempted, he brought out the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And that's how he, you could say, he parlayed those attacks, so to say. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. That's another offensive thing that you do, praying in the Spirit. To that end, he says, keep alert and make supplication for all the saints. So let me pray for you, and then we'll go back to our, our call line. Lord, I pray for Haley, and I pray for her fiancé. Um, Lord, we are encouraged to know that they are being, uh, or are experiencing the spiritual warfare because we know, Lord, that that is what happens when somebody is truly seeking you. So Lord, I pray that you encourage them in this time. I pray you give them the strength to stand up under the temptations that they are facing. And Lord, I pray that they would take these uh, these words from you, from Ephesians chapter 6, that they would put on the full armor of God and that they would do battle in the spiritual realm by taking the word of God and responding in that way. So Lord, I pray you'd strengthen them in these times and be with them, Lord, that you would be their strength and the one that they keep their eyes fixed on. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go back to our call line. We've got John in Castle Rock on line one. Hi, John. Welcome to the program. Hi, how's it going? 
I'm going. It's going well. How are you? Good. So I have a quick question, or maybe it's not quick. I don't know. Um, you were talking earlier about the, the people who someone called asking whether or not we lose our salvation. A common question, and, and I understand that we can't. But those people who say, "Lord, Lord," you know, we prophesied in your name. Did those people actually prophesy and yet aren't saved, or did they sort of make up the prophetic experience in their head? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Here's, I mean, here's what I would tell you. I think that it is possible for someone to be used by God, even in a spiritual way like that, and not um, be saved, so to say, right? Like not be a Christian or not so, have salvation. So God will, so God will bestow the, the spiritual gifts uh, upon non-believers. I would say this: that the the fact that someone has a spiritual experience or practices a spiritual gift does not guarantee that they are a believer. And I can give you a couple examples and an explanation if you'd like. Great. Um, yeah, please. Yeah, so some examples. We look at um, Saul. So I think, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, the jury's still out on King Saul. Like if he was, like if we're going to see Saul in heaven, like if Saul truly trusted in God and uh, had it accounted to him as righteousness or not, like I don't know if Saul's going to be in heaven. I really hope he is. I mean, I hope that uh, I'll see a lot of people in heaven. But it really doesn't seem like Saul had a heart for God or that he understood, uh, you know, trusting in God at all. That's what it seems like from my reading of First uh, and Second Samuel. Well, First Samuel. Okay. But yet it says that Saul prophesied, right? It says mm -hmm. that Saul was among the prophets and that the Holy Spirit came upon him and he prophesied. And so does that mean that Saul was a believer and then he somehow later on in life lost his salvation? I don't think so. Uh, let me explain to you how I would explain it in a uh, theological way, explaining the Holy Spirit uh, the, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I would explain it in this way. The, if you, especially if you read um, the Gospel of John, chapters 14 and 16. This is where Jesus has said to them, Hey, I am going away, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to be your helper and your comforter and your guide. Right. So then he, he says this and then he starts to describe what the work of the Holy Spirit will be. You know, he says a few things. He will remind you of all the things that I said. He will lead you. He will guide you. But then he says this interesting thing that the Holy Spirit, he says, the spirit who is uh, who has been with you, you. He says, you know him for he has been with you. But excuse me, he says soon. He will be in you. Right. And he says, um. And so I think that, that he's, he's saying something that's very interesting. And then you can take that and you can pair that with other verses. What he's saying is, so until now, the Holy Spirit has been with you, but he has not been in you. The time is coming when the Holy Spirit will be in you. So if we compare that with like uh, 1 Corinthians, and then we compare that with, um, let's see, Ephesians chapter 1, where it talks about how the Holy Spirit, when, when we put our faith in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit... Uh, comes into us as a guarantee, as a seal that we belong to Him, and uh, and I think you look at that. And here's here's the picture that I'm painting. Basically, is this: it would seem to me that what Jesus is saying is, prior to His death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit did not indwell people, right. but after His death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit did. And so then I look to like uh, John chapter 20, where Jesus says that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. My guess is if Jesus breathes on you and says, receive the Holy Spirit, 
you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, right? And so it, I, I take that as being the point where we see the Holy Spirit coming into them and indwelling them for the first time in history. Now then there's, so, so, so far we have two relationships with the Holy Spirit, right? Number one is the Holy Spirit is with people. I would say the Holy Spirit is with all people, and that's what it says there in John 16. He says the Holy Spirit, um, he, is this, he convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment, right? So he convicts that you are a sinner, that God is righteous, and that there is coming a day of judgment. So what that is saying is that the Holy Spirit is convicting people of their need for a sinner, or need for salvation because they are sinners. And I would say in that sense, the Holy Spirit is with all people, and I would emphasize the word with. So there's that first relationship. Right. So with relationship. The Holy Spirit's with all people. Rather than dwelling in us as in we've accepted it into our soul to receive salvation. Totally, right? So when people are like, hey, God is inside all of us, the answer is actually no. Uh, God is inside those who have put their faith in Jesus and who have been born again. Okay. So, um so there's that second relationship is the in relationship. So he's with all people. He's in those who are believers. And then you have this third one, which is the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And this is one that we see in the Old Testament, and we see it repeated over and over. You know, you see it with the judges, for example, like the Spirit came upon this person, and then he did this thing. You see it in the New Testament, too, that, that same relationship. So you see it in the book of Acts, right? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Okay, okay so, 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 um, so when the... When the tongues of fire were above above the believers, was that a was that an upon experience? Yeah, I mean that's the wording that's even used in there in okay. Acts chapter two. Okay. Um, and in Acts and, chapter and so one, that's verse like into the spiritual gift. Yeah. So I guess I'm trying to paint this whole picture and basically say this: there are three relationships with the Holy Spirit, um, with, in, upon. I believe that it is possible for someone to have an experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon them and empowering them to do something uh, for a purpose, for a reason. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the Holy Spirit is in you. So I don't think that the Holy Spirit being in you is a precondition for the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And I think that Saul is a good example of that in the Old Testament. In fact, I say that every time you see the Holy Spirit come upon someone in the Old Testament and empower them in that way, um, and they prophesy and things like that in the Old Testament, or they're empowered to do something for God. Uh, I think that that's, that's just more proof of the fact that those people did not yet have the Holy Spirit in them, and yet the Holy Spirit came upon them. Okay. Okay. So, so. so as believers, we... <sighs> Sorry, I, sometimes I... Once in a while I struggle, you know, with, with feelings of... I, I guess doubt or worry about my salvation. Yeah, because you know I, I've I've had plenty of spiritual experiences. You know, I I got saved when I was a little kid. I you know rededicated my life a few years ago, and I, I don't know. I, I I feel like God speaks to me and 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 will tell me, you know say hi to this person. I need a word or you know comfort this person or you know, spend your time with this person over here. I, I guess what I'm getting at is, so stuff like that is, is not in any way a confirmation of salvation. Yeah, I don't think it is a 100% confirmation, but I will tell you that there is a sense in which it is uh, a confirmation. I'll, I'll tell you why. 
Uh, but here's the thing. I also want you to keep that verse in Matthew 7 in mind because I think that's a very important warning for us. It should be alarming to us to say, wow, here are people who prophesied and yet they didn't know the Lord, like in a yeah. relationship. So I yeah, don't want to detract. Yeah, and it, it's meant to be. But you got to understand that the spirit, the the scriptures are giving comfort to those who need comfort. So it sounds to me like you more fall in the category of those who need comfort, rather than more like, um, you know, shaking up those who are too comfortable. So the the, you know, is this text meant to shake up those who are too comfortable, or is this text meant to comfort the, those who need comfort? I think that one is meant to shake up those who, are too comfortable. But it sounds like what you need is some encouragement about. You know, you need to be encouraged that truly your salvation is in Jesus and it is fixed if your faith is in him. So let me just um, let me just give you this example of somebody, you know, in Acts chapter 10, we read about how, you know, Peter goes to the house of this guy named Cornelius, who's a Gentile, he's not a Jew, and uh, he begins telling him about the about Jesus and the proof that Cornelius received uh the gospel and that he put his faith in the gospel is that it says the Holy Spirit came upon him. And so, and, and that means that, you know, it was evidenced in uh, a certain way. It seems that that way was that they spoke in tongues in that case, which was the way that, you know, and then Peter says later on, Hey, if they received the Holy Spirit, you know, these Gentiles received the Holy Spirit the same way that we did, then how could we uh, hold back from them, you know, to say that they're Christians. So all that to say, I think there are some examples in the Bible of, the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody and that being evidence of God's work in their life. But we can't detract from what it says in Matthew 7. But but I think the bigger issue is this. It sounds to me like you want to put your faith in Jesus and what he's done. Um, and I, I wonder what is what is going on that makes you um, makes you worried about it. Did you hear uh, happen to hear what I said earlier about the airplane? I really like that example. Sorry if I'm going back to it. Um, you know, I may have missed that. I, I deliver okay. for a living, so I'm in and out of the car. No no worries. So let me just reiterate it, and then I'll let you go, because we've been talking for a while. But um, here's here's what I said. I was talking about how this past Sunday I spoke about justification by faith. And, um, and I think it's really important to remember that it's not our faith that saves us. And so therefore, we shouldn't have faith in our faith, right? Because you can, if you, if you put your eyes too much on your faith and, and that, you begin to think like, well, okay, do I have enough faith to be saved or do I not have enough faith? Is my faith deficient in some way and therefore I won't be saved because my faith isn't strong enough? And what I really want to encourage people in my church in during this sermon, and and sounds like maybe you too, is to say, don't have faith in your faith. Have faith in the object of your faith, Jesus. Your faith doesn't save you, but Jesus does. And it's kind of like if two get uh, into an airplane or get on an airplane going from New York to Los Angeles and one of them has a lot of faith in the airplane you know they they totally trust that this airplane's going to get them to uh, their destination and the other person gets on the airplane and that person is has like you know almost no faith at all that this airplane is going to get them to their destination safely yet the airplane is going to do what it's going to do whether or not they trust in it you get what i'm saying like they oh, had enough okay. faith to yeah. get on the airplane and they're so both going to arrive whether or not they had a lot of faith in it. And my point is this, that put your faith in Jesus and what he's done for you. And it's not the amount of your faith that matters. It's the object of your faith that matters. That's awesome. That's really encouraging. 
Awesome. Let me pray for you, John, and then I'm going to let you go. Heavenly Father, we pray for John, and I just uh, my heart goes out to him and anyone else who is listening who says, man, I'm struggling. I don't know if I have saving faith. I, I want to know uh, that I will be saved because I want to walk with Jesus and I want to know him. Lord, we pray for John and, and everybody else right now who's feeling that way. Lord, we pray that you would encourage them, that they would look not to themselves, uh, but that they would look to you. And in doing so, that they would have assurance, Lord, because you said it is finished. You did everything that was required for our salvation, and you are the one who clings to us. And so, Lord, we help us to take hold of that, help us to rest in it. Lord, we also pray for those who, who are kind of on the other end, where they, they've become so comfortable where they need to be shaken up. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, let your word do that in their lives as well. And we pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Thanks, I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Check us out at whitefieldschurch.com or come visit us on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. if you're in Longmont or the near area. Uh, Again, that's whitefieldschurch.com. We've got a couple callers and we're coming up on the end of the show. Let's see how many we can take before we reach the end. Let's go to line two where we've got Chris in Centennial. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the program. Hi, how's it going? Going well. What's up? I just had a question about the church um, in for the rapture. When it okay. says that, uh, or, or I guess when he comes down to get his bride and everything like that, um, is that 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 means everybody's basically, you know, I guess dead because it says that no flesh shall inherit the kingdom of God. So when so when would when would the like how does the how would the rapture work? Isn't it going to be everyone? All all of those people are going to be killed, right? No, well, actually, I you know whether we're talking about the rapture or the second coming of Christ, um, I think that the point is the same for you. You're asking, you're saying, does that phrase uh, "no flesh shall inherit the kingdom of God" mean that mean you have to die? Will, that everyone will be dead and then Jesus will return. And I would say the answer to that is uh, no. In fact, here's where I'm going to turn you to know that answer to that is in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. And it's actually written to people who had the exact same question that you did, which is, uh, you know, very helpful. <laughs> so this is uh, <laughs> written literally to people with your exact question. Oh, cool. And so he says uh, this. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, so there's the answer to your question, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So that will so, be, that, does that, does that, is that directed towards the church then? Yeah, I mean, he's writing to Christians. So will so, that mean that we're going to go through all of the tribulation and the great tribulation if, well, since I, that I don't happens think before that he comes back? Yeah, I don't think that that is uh, necessarily the... Right, let's put it this way. I don't think that's the only conclusion that you can come to. And, and personally, I don't believe so. So I would say no. 
But here's okay. what I want you to say, and I got two minutes before the end of the show, so I'm going to have okay. to yeah. wrap it up pretty quick here. All, uh, right. all he's saying is this, that um, there are going to be people alive when he returns. So when he returns for his bride, the church, and takes them to be with him forever, there are going to be people who are alive. So whether that is, um, you know, before uh, the Great Tribulation or after the Great Tribulation, I don't think is really addressed in this, uh, in this section right here. I think that's a whole different discussion, but I think it's a good discussion. I think it's a discussion which uh, encompasses more than just this text. We've got to look at the entire Bible. I would okay. point you towards the story of Noah, where we see that Noah and his family, it says Noah was the only righteous man. Noah and his family were saved from the judgment that God brought on the earth. We see the uh, example of Lot, right, where Lot is brought out of Sodom before Sodom is uh, judged by God and destroyed. And yeah. so my personal take on it is that these things tend to lead towards um, towards a, what you might call, pre-tribulation um, rapture. Okay. okay. But either, either way, I just want to make clear to you, to answer your question that you asked earlier, what this is saying is that um, there will be people alive when the Lord returns. And Jesus okay. said that too, um, that people would see it. And uh, we see that in, in uh, Revelation, all these areas too. So thank you for calling in. Awesome. God thank you very you. much. Appreciate it. All right. We're coming up on the end of our show. You have been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Calvary Live will be back tomorrow from 4 to 5 p.m. And I will be back with you on Monday on Calvary Live. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Calvary Live. Be sure to tell a friend about Grace FM.